VI Shots, episode number 37. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the show devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas on software engineering with LabVIEW. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this new episode of the VI Shots podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ivaliotis. Today, we are going to talk about engineering process models or lifecycle models. Uh, basically, it's the process and steps you follow to develop software. There are several development models, such as the most popular waterfall model, which we're all trying to get away from, obviously. There's the V model, the spiral model, and so on. But uh, one that is very popular is the Agile Development Process. This is a methodology that I use, uh, or we try to use at JKI. Uh, We use it on certain projects, and it's a methodology that I aspire to get better at each day. Um, Of course, in order to help us uh, on this topic, I have with me today an expert uh, to help us walk through the principles of the Agile Process and how it can help you develop better LabVIEW code, and most importantly, how to make your customer happier and more satisfied with uh, the services you provide. So with me, I have John Sextro. John is an Agile coach, a Scrum master, and an Agile expert. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you on the show. And thank you for all those kind words. uh, Now, John, you've been, uh, based on what you've told me before we got on the air, you've been doing programming since you were 12 years old. This is a true statement. <laughs> that's that's pretty young. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into it and what language you were using and all that? I'd love to. I started with a little language called Basic, oh, and yes. uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a extracurricular class available to me in my grade school when I was twelve years old, and started to write my first programs then. And I haven't stopped since. I just was hooked from the very get go. I loved computers love developing software, and I'm just one of those lucky people today that actually gets paid to do what I would normally just do as a hobby. So I'm very fortunate. That's that's definitely a great place to be in. Um, myself as well. I mean, the reason why I keep doing what I'm doing is because I love it, of course. Um, now, we, we met in a kind of a strange way. You'd think we'd meet at kind of a software conference or something like that, <laughs> right? But we actually met at a um, at New Media Expo this uh, in, in Las Vegas the, uh, several weeks ago, and we were both there because of our podcast, trying to make you know our podcasts better and take it to the next level, so to speak. Um, and uh, I kind of you were talking about how you were uh, helping other software engineers and all that, and I got a I asked you know what do you do, and you said you're you know an agile expert. And uh, I said, oh, that's that's great because, you know, our audience, uh, even though we, we develop software uh, and we try to get things done uh, in, in a certain efficient way, we don't necessarily always use the right processes to get to the end result. And um, I've read a little bit about Agile, and I know a lot of my audience has, and some of them are probably afraid to implement some of the principles because they they come from um, their management, you know, prefers traditional processes. So uh, I'd like you to to walk us through a little bit about agile. 
first off, you know how I, in, in the intro I compared it to you know a process, a software development process, and that is true, correct? Absolutely true. Okay. Uh, Agile is certainly a software development process. I often think that people are easily confused by the word Agile or Agile, depending on uh, who you are and how you like to say it. And they think that that term means that there's no process at all, that it's very fly by the seat of your pants. But that can't be further from the truth. It's actually a very disciplined uh, approach to software development. So uh, can you summarize basically what Agile is? Absolutely. It's an approach that really uh, accepts, embraces change, which we all know occurs. Many of the traditional, as you mentioned, Michael, waterfall methods that are out there often impose a series of gates and sign-offs and things like that that say, after this point, nothing can change or else the project is doomed and we won't be able to deliver as the customer needs us to with Agile we accept that things can and will change through the course of a development effort, and we take very specific steps and strides to make sure that we are adaptable to change while focusing on the continuous delivery of high-quality working software. And in a nutshell, in the essence of it, that's what Agile is. It's a focus on a software development process that is adaptable to change that will quickly deliver working software in a continuous fashion to customers. And that's what customers love about Agile and users of software love about Agile is as soon as you start having conversations about the software that you want built, you start quickly getting a continuous series of releases of some portion of that working software. So in other words, the customer doesn't have to wait for, you know, X number of months to see something <laughs> functioning, they, they can actually see results right away, correct? Absolutely. I mean, how would you feel if you went into a car dealership and said, yeah, I'd, I'd like a car, but uh, and I want this type of a car, and you, you don't get it for many months, that, that wouldn't be very acceptable to you, and you'd probably change your mind quite a bit over that period of time. So with Agile, the focus is get you something that's working right away so we can have what we call short feedback loops. I'm sure you're familiar with feedback loops right, in your right. business. We want very short feedback loops. So we present you with working software. You use that working software, provide feedback, and we continue to iterate over what you need and what you want until you get what is enough for you to do your job. So uh, because you have short iteration cycles, um, you know, obviously the benefits of that uh, is that the customer can get immediate feedback as to, you know, how the software looks, uh, how it behaves, and uh, they can actually get kind of validation for themselves that they're either moving in the right direction or maybe they're in the wrong direction they need to make, make changes, right? Exactly. They can, they can see it, they can touch it, they can use it, and they might think up front as they're describing things to you and talking about the software that they need, they may describe something that they think they need or that they think they want. But in reality, and when the rubber meets the road and they get the software uh, deployed to their devices, laptops, computers, hardware, etc., they may actually realize that, yeah, you, you did exactly what I asked you to do. Thank you. But that doesn't work at all. I didn't realize it. Now I do. And if we can tweak this and that and the other thing, boy, that'll work better for me. 
And in a waterfall, traditional waterfall um, methodology, once you get the software, that's kind of it. And if uh, things don't work right, it's like a big ordeal. You've got to put in change requests and modification of scope and budget and, and all of these things. And not that we don't have to deal with budget and scope in Agile, but we're built and set up in a way that we can allow you to reprioritize the things that are important to you on a very regular basis, sometimes sometimes even on a daily basis. And it depends on the sort of cycles that you have going with your customer, how often you talk, how often you collaborate. And of course, that's another key principle that we use in Agile is, is uh, co-location and, and uh, customer collaboration to help us build and define define and build what the customer needs. Yeah, I mean, what one thing I know I notice is that when you get into this specification writing process, you know, where you write, you know, uh, one point A or one dash A, one dash B, and B dash, <laughs> you know, II or whatever, uh, you write all this 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 documentation. It's it's hard to describe, um, you know, how a software should look and how to how it behaves until you actually touch it and then you can realize that it's totally different than what it looks on on paper on text and human nature is such that you know you you want to use your senses and you know play around with something to understand how it works rather than just reading a a description of it on on a document it's very hard for the mind to correlate between written text and the way that the software will actually function and you can imagine that intelligent minds could read the same document and think, I think the system will do this, that, and the other, and you might think differently and a third person differently as well. Uh, There's a thing called the Agile Manifesto that was written back in uh, early 2000s, I think 2001, a smart group of guys all got together, working in, already working in the very early days of the Agile environment. And those guys put put together a list of principles and they put together this Agile manifesto that is a statement of four things. And I'll tell you what those are. The first one is that we value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. The second one is we value working software over comprehensive documentation. Third one is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And the fourth one is valuing responding to change over following a plan. That doesn't mean that we don't value the things that were in the second part of those statements, such as working software over the documentation that you mentioned, Michael, Mm -hmm. that we just happen to think that there's higher value in producing working software than there is in writing comprehensive documentation for (laughs) reasons that you and I have just discussed. Yeah, um... I mean, we all hate documentation. <laughs> no, no one likes writing documentation, especially if say that. especially if no one is going to read it. Um, there's a lot of time where you end up spending days to write specifications and documentation just to say that you did it, and then you just gets put on a shelf, and then no one looks at it ever again. I mean, that is really that is a shame. <laughs> that is a waste of human resources right there. And I wanted to be so clear about that to say that we, we, it's not that we don't value the, the second part of the statement, because a lot of people immediately read those statements and say, oh, that means in Agile you don't do any documentation. That's not true. That's not true at all. We do. Some projects do a significant amount of documentation. 
but we try to focus on the documentation that is going to provide value. As you said, Michael, if there's something that you're creating just because it's a, it's a checkbox on your, on your punch list of all the things that your boss says you need to do to do your job, you know, how valuable is that? What's going to happen with that? Is that a TPS report sort of thing that sits on somebody's desk and never gets looked at again? Right. So building, building the working software and then talking to people about the working software and collaborating and being ready to respond to those changes, we'd rather focus on those things. And then going along with, uh, with the Agile Manifesto, there's, so I talked about these four statements. Those are the, those are the basic statements that are the, the elevator speech for the manifesto. And then within the manifesto, they go on to describe 12 principles that help you be agile, help you implement a solid agile process. You don't have to do them all or necessarily subscribe to them all, believe in them all, but they at least give you these, these guideposts, if you will, out there in the world to help you determine practices that you might want to use to help you be more agile. And if you'd like, Michael, we can go over some of those principles. Yeah, let's, let's go over through, uh, go over those 12 principles. And the first one says, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. And this is something that we touched upon already, where there's early, you know, uh, short iteration cycles, um, but you're continuously providing that over the whole development uh, duration, right? Absolutely. And isn't that everyone's highest priority when you're building testing software or any anything any anything that you're building? Isn't that really what your ultimate goal is? Is to satisfy your customer? Right. I think we all agree that it is, and we're just saying that here's a way to help do that. And the way to help do that is to deliver working software to your customers early rather than having them wait many months, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and then get something eight months later and they maybe six months, maybe four, whatever it is. But as humans, we often quickly forget what we talked about, and then they see it, and uh, they're completely out of context, and they don't know what they talked about, and it's it's um, maybe they're onto some other project or worried about new and different things. So they're not in the moment. They're not close to the conversation and they forget what they wanted, what they asked for and what they need. Yeah. Uh, from my experience, some, some projects uh, can only be done with agile because sometimes not even the customer knows exactly what they, what the end product will look like because um, in our industry, we develop the software to, uh, control or test hardware, and some companies kind of develop the software as they're developing the hardware as well. So the software is going through changes, but also the the hardware is also going through changes. It hasn't been finalized, or they're they're still tweaking it, so to speak. So agile kind of fits nicely with that because, uh, especially in R and D environments, is as they're tweaking the the hardware, adding you know fixes to the hardware, they can modify the software to adapt. Uh, to match. So I think that's that fits really nicely in that environment. You make a good point there, Michael. Um, so I want to make sure that I state that this isn't something that was brilliantly thought of by these these gentlemen oh so many years ago back in early 2000s. So this is things that people have been doing for quite a while, especially in in product development, as you mentioned. And the the Agile Manifesto and what we call Agile today is just taking those best practices and kind of standing on the shoulders of those giants that went before us to to bring all these things together as, hey, we've done this for a while. 
we see that these are best practices and we want to help deliver these things to people in a package called Agile that you can use to uh, deliver a better user experience and a product to your customers. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, the second principle says, uh, welcome changing requirements even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Right, and this is, um, this is very important. As I said, one of the key principles with Agile is being able to respond to change rather than focusing necessarily on following a plan. And it's one of the key pieces that differentiates Agile from other sorts of software development processes is that we in Agile encourage change. We welcome that change. We are ready for your change. And we realize that our ability to change with you as the business, as the customer, as the product development team is a competitive advantage because you can quickly make changes, respond to market demands, turn around software that's high quality and get it out to your customers. Exactly. Um, I think in traditional models, they actually penalize you for making changes. <laughs> they, they don't want change and actually uh, it costs a lot uh, for change. Uh, sometimes um, developers will uh, say, well, if you want this change, it's going to cost you extra. It's going to charge you for that type of thing. But you're saying that in the agile process, it's that's part of the, it's built in. It's to handle that. Exactly. Very built in. Very key. Uh, yeah. And especially if you're, uh, because our customers want to, are competing with others as well to get their product to market faster and get their stuff to market. And um, also their competitors are changing. The market's constantly changing uh, so they're seeing things that uh, change in, in the market. So they want to be able to quickly modify their plan to match that. You don't want to be developing something for two years. Uh, and then after two years, you realize that <laughs> what you developed doesn't sell anymore because that's totally out of date, right? That'd be the worst case scenario for a company. Right, exactly. Um, however, uh, for, for the skeptics out there who might be thinking, well, if this does this potentially mean that you know we could be going in the direction of you know creating a word processor app and then in the end create you know a spreadsheet app or something i mean how much change do you accept so that it doesn't so that the product becomes totally unrecognizable as what it initial its initial scope was or is that okay it's a, i would say it's unbounded it is only bounded by the product owner the customer's imagination and desires because if you do start down the path of of creating a word processor but market demands and market research and market pressures say that we should actually be creating a spreadsheet isn't that the best thing to create so i would say that it's unbounded we will we will modify we will change and adapt as much as we need to to match what the customer what the client what the user needs now, the, uh, the third principle says deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter time scale. I would say that a couple of months is actually too long in, in this uh, in Agile, right? Sure. Um, and many people would agree with you, Michael. Uh, there, are, there are teams that I have worked with that release working code to production hourly. Uh, wow. There are very large companies that do that as well. Facebook, um, GitHub to name a few, and I'm sure many more. But this is something that is is very, very powerful. 
it can be very dangerous if you're if you're not careful. Um, but it's it's another key tenant. We want to deliver working software to the users so that they can put hands on it, see how it works. Um, you can also talk about and consider where are you delivering working software to. So for for groups and for projects and for companies where they can't afford to go to production hourly or daily or weekly, there are other avenues, there are other opportunities to still deliver working software to some sort of an environment. Many companies have test beds or beta environments or labs that they can put software and equipment into so that they can get feedback on regular releases of working software. And so even if you don't go to production production to where all of your final users are, if you can come up with a way to get um, a targeted set of users, a beta set of users, an alpha set of users to have access to the software, that's still very valuable. Yeah, I mean, there's... So when we when we talk about working software, we're not talking about, you know, the, the software compiles. We're talking about the software actually can be released potentially and per, perform some functionality that is useful, right? Uh, as defined by the customer, I guess? Yes. Okay. And, and there are practices that we use with how we organize the work, writing features and documenting parts of features with user stories and things like that. And, and these approaches, these more detailed practices that teams implement help them focus on delivering not only software that compiles, of course, because that's very important, uh, but also software that has meaning. And that's a very flexible term. So meaning could be um, a simple process that does some very basic things, but at least proves that the process works or proves that there's integration between software and device or software and database or device and database and those sorts of things so that you can incrementally show that there's progress, that you're, you're making progress on integrating across your platform, across your architecture, across your devices, et cetera, and show that things are working and prove them out along the way. Yeah, one thing that we do is uh, one of the f development phases is, you know, create sort of the low-level APIs that communicate with a piece of hardware, for example, and prove that out. Like, you know, we have communication that works, and you can do that within a week or so. Um, and then so you can actually grab this, this code, this API, and uh, test it out in a test environment and show that it works. And then you can build on top of that. The next phase is, you know, build a user interface around it, for example, and that type of thing. So you can build on top of it like that. Right. That's, that's exactly what, what we do as well, using some what we call the concept of thin vertical slices, where we try to have bits of functionality that, that would cross a, cut across the device, the database, the computer, other parts of the architecture and the infrastructure so that we can show how hey, we've made all of those connections. We've made all of those integrations. You can see data going from here into there. And it may not, it's obviously not the final state, but at least you've proven it out. And as you very accurately said, you layer on top of that. You build on top of, on top of that uh, bit of functionality. Now, you mentioned uh, briefly that you know, if, if you have sh very short iteration cycles, like an hour or a day, that could be dangerous. Why is that dangerous? It, uh, it just depends on your customer and your client's appetite for that sort of change. Uh, you need some rigorous practices in place and 
and testing in place so that you can be sure that you can release with that sort of frequency. The worst thing you would want to have happen is you release something to a large group of production users that causes a problem. So just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Uh, you need to make sure that you have very good quality controls, very good testing, uh, very good metrics and logging and things along those lines so you can really easily um, assess the quality and the health of the software before you release release it out into the wild. And that's the that's the part that I just want people to be cautious about is that just because I can release all the time doesn't mean I should until I've gone through and done the appropriate quality assurance checks. Now, the next uh, item in the principles is business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. Um, can you explain a little bit about what the daily part of it is? Do you have daily meetings or what does that exactly mean? It means face-to-face -face collaboration. It means sitting side-by-side -side in the lab. It means sitting side-by-side -side in a workspace and having very rich um, conversations with your, your business folks, uh, with maybe a few key business folks, so that you can have them as a sounding board. You can talk through ideas. You can quickly say, I hear you want us to do this with the software. What does that mean? How are you going to use it? What are the goals for a user when they're, when they're going to be using the system in this sort of way? Uh, do you think that sounds crazy, Michael, to have that sort of level of daily interaction with <laughs> people? Uh, well, it, it, it depends on the company environment, I think. Um, and it depends on who the business people are because software developers are kind of closed off to, they don't like, you know, talking to these other people that <laughs> dish out instructions or whatever. Um, but, you know, maybe that's something that is just a hangover that people need to get over, I guess, uh, because those are the people that you're writing the software for or um, can help you develop the software to meet, you know, the customer requirements. So you should be collaborating together, I guess. You should, but you make a good point. Uh, so certain developers, certain engineers, software developers, programmers um, are often, let's face it, somewhat introverted at best. Right. So it can be a challenge. It's not the right approach for everyone. There are certainly excellent developers, awesome engineers that may not work out very well on an agile team because of that uh the expectation that there's going to be a lot more face-to-face -face communication and face-to-face -face contact and and really rich communication with with uh, the customers and with the business. So it's something to consider and it, everyone has their own style. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, it's just that you know, some people are a better fit for some sort of jobs than others are. Right. So that's something to be aware of, but we think that it's very important in Agile, because we want those short feedback loops to have the customers and the business with us as much as possible so that we can ask them questions so that they can see small bits of software as it's working um, even before we put it out into those environments so that it's collaborative and and it's a, it's a team-oriented approach to the software delivery process. Now, one of the um, issues that might come up is, you know, if you have uh, developers that are working remotely, for example, 
How how do you envision that to, to work out with this principle? Ten years ago, Michael, I would have given you a very different answer. But you're on the West Coast. I'm in the Midwest. We're having a very rich, collaborative conversation right now. So in 2014, there's no reason to think that we could not work just as well, separated by a thousand miles or more, given the technologies that we have today. You and I could screen share, we could pair program, we could, uh, we could very richly collaborate on work that we're doing remotely. It is true that there are challenges, especially if you're half the world away, separated by 12 hours or more of time zone change and differences. That's tougher. Uh, but if we're in approximately the same geographic, approximately the same set of time zones, we have the tools, we have the technology to work remotely and to collaborate as if we were sitting side by side. Uh, I definitely agree. Um, that's um, that's definitely true. Now let's uh, these uh, we're only at principle number four, and we have twelve. I don't know if we're going to get through all of them, but uh, number five says build projects around motivated individuals, give them the environment and support they need, and trust them to get the job done. Ooh, that's putting a lot of trust. <laughs> um, now this seems kind of like uh, kind of warm and fuzzy and not very uh, tangible. So describe what this exactly means. So don't don't take this the wrong way. Uh, it doesn't mean that managers, leaders should just stay away. But what we're advocating for is that projects, teams, companies have spent significant effort, time, and capital to hire smart individuals. Trust them. I know we use the word trust a lot in Agile. Uh, we also use the word transparency a lot in Agile. And there's this concept of self-organization where you take a group of smart people, a team of smart people, and you give them certain boundaries and guidelines, and you say, guys, go do it. Make it happen. I will support you. I'll give you the environment. I'll give you all the equipment that you need, and I'll do everything I can as your leader to help you get this project done. But you guys are the experts. You know the hardware. You know the software. You know the language make it happen. I'm here to support you and I trust you. I trust, but I verify. So I keep tabs on progress by uh, checking in on the regular delivery of that working software and viewing the software as it's being developed and created. But I'm going to give you the, uh, the latitude to get organized in the best way possible for you and for the rest of the team to be as productive as possible to produce high-quality working software. Yeah, I mean, the whole process seems to be self-policing, uh, kind of, because, I mean, if you have iteration cycles, let's say, for a week, I mean, you're not going to go on for, like, three months and then realize that the team hasn't been doing anything, right? I mean, you'll I, you'll know right away if, if it's working or not. Absolutely. Yeah, so if you have to deliver every day, then, well, hey, you know, what happened to today's delivery? You know, what's going on? What are you guys doing? Um, and and so, we don't yep. we don't claim that it's easy. I'm an agile coach for a reason, right? I, I go into teams and I help coach those teams just like a, a coach for a sports team helps. I make suggestions, point out things that can be done better. 
But then ultimately, we, we tell the team, it's up to you guys to make it happen. We can't drag you across the finish line. We want you to, uh, to take this to the next level and make it all happen. Right. What do you think is the best environment to have teams in, like for collaboration and development? I'm talking kind of like, uh, you know, office environment. Like, what, do, what do you suggest in that regards? I suggest uh, environments that are highly collaborative. So when you do have people that are in the same uh, physical space on the same campus or in the same building, I, I suggest that you bring those people together and sit them in somewhat of a rather open space where they can move around. You can have equipment in your area. Uh, you can quickly get get together and have discussions about topics facing facing the team, challenges that are going on. You have an, a place where you can demonstrate the, the devices, demonstrate the software to users, and and just a, a, a kind of a somewhat open bullpen sort of area where people can work and collaborate together. Right, an open environment, definitely. Now, uh, number six in the principle says, the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face. And now you've face-to-face conversation, and you've mentioned face-to-face conversation before, um, and we talked a little bit about um, remote developers as well. Um, And uh, I guess that's kind of self explanatory there's not much more to say there's anything you want to say about that no i think we've not i think we've (laughs) that one up pretty good yeah number seven says working software is the primary measure of progress um and we talked about this as well how um you can um evaluate efficiency of a team you can evaluate if if you're making progress by seeing you know if if the deliveries are met Uh, and Again, just to emphasize, it's the what delivery means is up to the customer. Is it the team that defines what delivery is? It, it is up to the customer and the team, I think, to collaborate and define that. There's always a process that, or there's typically a process that agile teams go through, uh, where they go through a process of defining what done means for features and for stories that they're working on. Mm-hmm. So that everybody's on the same page. So we'll say for for stories, this is what done means, and we're pretty uh, specific about exactly what that means. And that's a collaboration. And I think we all agree that that working software is a much better measure of the progress than looking at an Excel spreadsheet of here's what we did the past couple of weeks or looking at the the tracking view of the Gantt chart or those sorts of things, right? Yeah, this is the percentage failure of tests and all this stuff, <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, number eight says, Agile processes promote sustainable development. The sponsors, developers, and users should be able to maintain a constant pace indefinitely. Can you explain this a little bit? Because when I first read it, I wasn't exactly sure what this meant. Absolutely. And this can sometimes be a little bit of a sticky wicket for certain groups. But the essence of this is that the team should focus on working a steady rhythm. And that steady rhythm should be anchored by a 40-hour work week uh, in, in the best case scenario. And that's, that's flexible. Uh, but we, th- we believe that studies have shown, scientific data has been collected, that people are most efficient when they get, when they get time to decompress and when they get time to deal with their children, their families, 
their loved ones, when they get to recharge their batteries with their friends, when they get to go home and read that great novel that they have on their nightstand, and they come back with that renewed sense of, I'm ready to dig in again. I've had some time for my batteries to recharge for my creative juices to kind of refill and come back to work and then give it a solid eight hours, knock out some really great work, and then I should be able to work indefinitely at that pace. I'm sure, Michael, maybe you've been in the situation, I know I have, where I've been in a situation where I had to put in a bunch of extra hours, and it just drains you down, and it's not sustainable, and you can maybe get some good stuff done and make some accomplishments, but you, I don't think you can keep that up forever. Um. I haven't been in that situation at all. <laughs> no, of course I have. Uh, we, 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 software development is actually kind of um, there's everyone has stories of that. Of course, I mean there's there's the, the 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 project or company that you work for that says, oh let's let's get a team, let's get this going. We have like this deadline to meet, and let's put all our effort into it. And then you just you punch through it, and you work late hours, sometimes sleeping at the office if you have to, type of thing. Um, but that's not sustainable, right? I mean, it's it, you can do that for short bursts, but then you have to kind of take two weeks off to recover type of thing. Um, so I, what's the point of that? You might as well just build in the, the pace within the development and just um, survive the entire period if you can. <laughs> I, I think that projects should be measured, the success of projects should be, re, should be measured by the lack of dead bodies that are left on the side of the road. <laughs> As you look back along the trail of the project, and of course, we all have times where we have to do what I call surging, where you put in extra time, you work a little bit longer, a little bit harder to maybe meet some sort of a deadline. That's just reality. And, and I'm not pretending like those things don't happen and that we have to do that from time to time, but it can't be forever. It just can't be. Right. I agree. And number nine says continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. Um, I believe this means that uh, we have to take care to write very good code uh, and ha with very good design. Um, and how, how exactly do you accomplish this? Well, there are a number of ways, and you hit it right on the head. It is focusing on delivering quality code with, with a good design. Over time, I'm sure you would agree, that it's easier to modify and go back and update, change, enhance code that was well-written as opposed to code that was poorly written. One of the principles that we often use or one of the practices that we often use in Agile is the concept of emergent architecture, where we start off maybe using a test-driven development approach to do the simplest thing to implement a feature or a story in the simplest way possible. That doesn't mean that that simplest way possible has the best design or has the highest quality of code. But we do that in an effort to prove that, yes, the software can do that. Once I've written my test, I've seen that test fail, I've written my code to make that test pass and satisfy the criteria for that test, now I can take a look at my code and I can have a critical eye for a moment and say, could I have designed this code better? Could I have used less lines of code? 
Are there ways I could make this code more efficient, easier to read, and easier to maintain? And that's the focus of this continuous attention to technical excellence, is taking that time as you're creating the software to always make sure that you're doing the best job that you can to simplify the design and to make the code supportable and maintainable for future. Now, there, there are some techniques that um, I think Agile practice um, dictates. Like, for example, uh, is pair programming one of them that falls under this uh, principle? You can consider it falling into this. Yeah, or, like, or, or code reviews, I guess. Also code reviews. We also use a practice called, as I mentioned, test-driven development. Yeah. Part of test-driven development is the concept of refactoring which is just a fancy word for what I described as taking a look at the code, implementing better designs for what you wrote, and simplifying the design. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're at number 10 of the principles. Simplicity, the art of maximizing the amount of work not done, is essential. Now, this may sound like you're not trying to do any work. <laughs> uh, so explain this one. Right. Um there's, there are concepts that we all, off, also borrow from lean, like lean manufacturing, and some of the key principles within lean manufacturing are to eliminate waste. And within lean, uh, waste can be defined as work in progress. So work that has been started but that has not been finished is temporarily considered waste. So what we want to do is as quickly as possible start a task, work a task, finish a task. What I don't want to do, Michael, is start this task, get 35% of the way through it, stop, start another task, get that to 15%, start a third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Now I have six things that are all a work in progress and no working software to show, give to anyone, test, demo, etc. So what we're really talking about is trying to be a little more single-threaded. We all, I think know and accept the fact that humans are terrible at context switching, humans are terrible at multitasking, so we want the developers to focus, to focus on delivering one piece of working code, software, feature at a time, get it all the way through and get it done, and then go on to the next one. And that's the focus of this, maximizing the art, or maximizing the amount of work that is not done. Right. So, uh, because if you're working on these um, other tasks that never get completed, they don't actually get you to the goal of delivering the some functionality that has to be done within that time frame, that short time frame. So, any work that you're doing that's not part of that deliverable and can't be completed within that time is pretty much a, wasteful. Perfectly said. Yeah. Um, we're at number 11 of the principles. The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Um, does this mean that uh, the teams decide how to manage themselves, or what does this mean? It doesn't necessarily mean managing themselves. The statement is about the fact that uh, a group working together, a group of smart people working together, will come up with a better design and a better architecture than one than a single person. Mm-hmm. Not always totally true, right? If uh, maybe if Leonardo da Vinci was here today and architecting software, maybe he could he could slay us all with his with his great capabilities or something. I don't know. <laughs> but the, the the assumption is that many minds 
are better than just the one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that makes total sense. Um, yeah, basically, you want uh, several people to put their heads together to work on architecture and design and all that great stuff. It's hard to be. It's hard to be an expert in all the areas that we have to deal with. You know, I might be really great at the device infrastructure and and design, and someone else might be really great at the integration points, and someone else is great at the user interface design, and so we bring all of those people together. And the sums of what we can do as a group far outweighs what I can do as an individual. And we're at the last one, number 12. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. Um, I guess the question would be, what is a regular interval? It's, it's up to everyone to decide. And this is one of my favorite principles. I, I've always been uh, a person who likes to reflect, take stock in myself, and uh, seek ways to become better. And what this number 12, what this principle is asking us to do is to schedule that time in our process for the team to sit down with trust and with transparency, those two words that we talked about before, and use a microscope and inspect the project and our process and identify if there are ways that we could all work better together to produce a better product. Many teams do these things already. We're just offering a way to formalize that and to make it part of your regular cadence, your regular project cadence, your regular iteration or sprint cadence. And we use a technique called a retrospective, which is a very organized way to sit down with a team and consider opportunities for improving. Yeah, I, I, this is something that I don't see a lot happening actually in our world. Um, a lot of the times, once you get off a project, you're inevitably just jumping back on another one. And um, a lot of the times you don't have that opportunity to reflect. And I think this is very important to do. Otherwise, how do you improve, right? How do you get better? Yes. And, and in Agile, we like to do this very frequently, um, maybe weekly, maybe every two weeks. You know, we try and have it coincide with other regular activities that are going on. So if you're using Scrum and Sprints, we like to have uh, we like to have the retrospective coincide with the end of the sprint. So if your sprint is two weeks long, everyone sits down for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and retrospectively looks back at the last 10 business days and, and talks about this F word that is our feelings. And, the, and we often call it the F word because, as you said before, the, uh, us as engineers and developers are very introverted, and sometimes it's hard to deal with these feelings so we use exercises, almost like games, to draw people in and to have discussions around uh, aspects of the project, around aspects of the sprint, and talk about how could we improve, what should we stop doing, what should we start doing differently, how should we go about doing that differently, and then agreeing as a group that we'll, we'll take action and we'll make some improvement. And the next time we get back together, we'll talk about how well we did, how well we improved. Very important to Agile. Definitely. So that those are the 12 principles. And uh, for those of you who haven't been taking notes, uh, all of this will be posted uh, show notes on uh, on this episode. Uh, just go to vishots.com slash 37 to get the uh, show notes. Um, John, I'd like to ask you about some some techniques that I've that I've heard about, and I'm not 100% sure what they are. Now, in your in the intro, I mentioned that you're a scrum master. Sounds a little bit like dungeon master. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, so can you describe a little bit what Scrum is? Scrum is a flavor of Agile. So if you think of uh, Agile as an overarching definition of these principles, right, then folks have taken these principles and turned them into uh, concrete manifestations of ways to go about executing in an Agile fashion. And Scrum is one of those manifestations that gives a very specific set of ceremonies to go through that includes things like daily stand-up meetings for five or ten minutes, sprint planning meetings that you use to ready stories for that period of time, that sprint that's coming up, retrospectives, uh, demonstrations of the working software at the end of the sprint, etc. And so it defines some cadence, it defines these ceremonies that you can use, and in essence, that's what Scrum is. So you as a, as a Scrum Master, what is your task then? To be the Dungeon Master. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the... I am... It differs. It differs across across teams and across the board. But your job as the scrum master is to remove impediments for the team primarily. And then secondarily, it is to help coach the team and help guide that self-organizing team. I am not the manager of that team, but I am a leader on that team. But I am no more a leader on that team then any other person on that team is a leader for that team. It just so happens that I have extra experience and expertise with Scrum and with Agile, and therefore I'm looked to to help provide guidance and direction when things get difficult, when things get tough, when people have problems. That's my job. So, John, there, there would be some critics out there that uh, work in specific industries, for example, um, military <laughs> or uh, medical devices or whatever, it, it, industries that have a lot, of, a lot of heavy process and are regulated and so on. Um, have you seen Agile being implemented in those environments? I have, Michael. I've both worked for the military. I have worked for the Department of Defense. I've also worked for companies that had very strict um, medical regulatory constraints that they had to deal with uh, from FDA to EPA to um, boy, a number of other regulatory alphabet soup organizations. Mm -hmm. And I've used Agile. And in most cases, those regulatory organizations are interested in understanding and knowing what the what the process is that's going to be used to develop the software, and then they want to ensure that you're following that process and that you have some evidence that you're following that process. And in all cases, this is very doable with Agile. As I said, it is a disciplined approach to software development. If it was just a loosey-goosey, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants sort of thing, that would not fly. It does happen that in regulatory projects, there's a bit more of a uh, of a barrier of a requirement for documentation. So you just have to make sure that you fulfill those requirements for documentation as appropriate. But it is very doable. Okay, John. So uh, that was a lot of information, and I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of ideas going on in their heads of how they can implement some of these agile processes in their companies. Um, and 
would probably are looking for more information, I would highly recommend that uh, if you want to learn more about Agile to get a hold of John. He has a website that you can go to, johnsextro.com, which you can get information about um, what he does with Agile. And uh, the link to that will be posted in the show notes. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, John and I met uh, at a podcasting conference, so that means that John has a podcast, and uh, it's called This Agile Life, and uh, you can find it at thisagilelife.com, which is a podcast dedicated to, to Agile. And uh, he also has another podcast called IOYES Podcast. Uh, it's I-O-H-Y-E-S podcast.com, where uh, it's a podcast for iOS developers, by iOS developers. And uh, John, is there anywhere else that people can get a hold of you or is, are, are those places adequate? Those are all great. I'm always happy to interact with people on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is J-C-S-E-X-T-R-O. I would also love it if anyone wanted to send me email to ask me questions about Agile or to talk to me about opportunities for me to help you with your, along your Agile journey. And my email address is john.sextro at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I'd certainly love it if everyone checked out our Agile podcast, as you mentioned, Michael, at thisagilelife.com. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, Michael. It has been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. And it was a pleasure getting to meet you in Las Vegas at the New Media Expo. It was my pleasure as well. And thank you all for listening to this uh, episode. If you like the VI Shots podcast and want to support the show, the best way to do this is to go to vishots.com slash iTunes. That will take you to our listing on iTunes store where you can leave us a written review. The more reviews we get, the more visible the show becomes to a wider audience. Any reviews are appreciated. If you want to comment on anything you hear in today's episode, go to vishots.com slash 37 and post a comment on the show. We also have links to the topics mentioned in this episode. Thanks again for listening, and bye for now.